What's up, Chase Oaks? Thank you so much for tuning in to this weekend service. If it is your first time uh, checking us out, uh, if uh, a friend sent you this video, uh, if you don't consider yourself a church person, or maybe you've been attending Chase Oaks for a long time, you just haven't been paying attention, we have been doing a collection of talks called Going There, looking at some issues uh, that can often divide us. And I want you to know that uh, this weekend, uh, we're going to be talking about race, which uh, is very interesting because uh, Jeff Jones uh, prayerfully considers uh, the teaching schedule and, and what should be taught and kind of how we divvy up some of those topics. And actually, I believe it was about three or four months ago that Jeff called and said, hey, um, man, can you talk about race September 25th and 27th? And I said, I said, sure. And also, I just want to say, um, Jeff Jones has done a phenomenal job talking about race and trying to do his best to connect with other local church pastors to bring about diversity um, and inclusion in our city. And I just wanted to just honor him and his leadership and how he's been able to, to even navigate that uh, through, through a pandemic. Um, so he says, hey, Ryan, I want you to do it on, on this particular weekend. And I said, of course. And uh, obviously, we did not plan for a Breonna Taylor verdict to come out a couple of days before that talk. And so um, we also didn't plan for a corporation to ask me to speak on diversity and inclusion this past week, one day after a Breonna Taylor uh, verdict was, was released uh, nationwide. And so it's interesting coming into uh, a race conversation, uh, believing that maybe, hey, maybe it's in response to the news that's happened this week. But that's actually not the case. And on the other hand, could it be the case that it was God ordained that we would be having this conversation this weekend in the middle of what can be some very polarizing conversations for us and our family members, for us and our neighbors, for us and our friends, for us and people that we love that sometimes we go, man, we're pretty far apart. And if you think about it, the glossary of index we've been given by culture to talk about race are so, it causes us to be so emotionally triggered. I mean, as soon as, as, soon as we see these words, everyone has an emotion immediately. And sometimes that emotion triggers these words. Well, all lives matter. Black lives matter. And then some people go, well, no, 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 no. Let's talk about it. It's blue lives matter. And then we start having the conversation. Then we get to white privilege. We go, whoa, whoa, whoa! I worked for. The, I, I didn't. I, nothing was handed to me. What do you mean by that? And then we go to. We go here. We go, man. What about white supremacy? And then we we go into anti-racist, and we have this language that is that we're, we feel forced. Can I say exhausted? Tired of the vocabulary that we've been given, and it's almost like we all. Feel stuck. I'll be honest. I have black liberal friends that know what I do for a living, and they go, "Hey, this is what you need to say this weekend. Here, here's what you need to say." I have black conservatives that go, "No, no, no. This is what you need to say." I also have white liberal friends that go, "No, no, no. This, this is what you need to do." And I have white conservative friends that go, "No, no, no. This is what you need to do." And then I'm married to a Puerto Rican. It's like Holy Spirit wife. You know what I mean? So he's like, "What do you do?" And then you got your friends that are just in the middle that are just kind of going. So, so you, you have that, that weight that, you know, a lot of people have an opinion about what people that do what I do for a living should be saying 
from the stage. And then, uh, so that's in one hand. Uh, on this other hand, uh, we have media narratives. Media narratives, and um, there are some amazing journalists, broadcasters, um, media personnel that go to Chase Oaks and, and that, that may be family and friends of yours who do their job with the utmost integrity. Um, but what is broadcasted and what we do with what is broadcasted are two completely different things. And I'm just going to speak to you from um, my own heart, my own conviction about what I was doing with what was broadcasted. And I didn't realize it until late August what was happening on the inside of my own soul. It was uh, I was scrolling and, 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 and here's and I, I have to I have to confess something to you. OK, so um, I actually find it entertaining to watch people argue on Facebook. I do like like I never get involved. I just watch and I'm just like, oh, that's hilarious. Ooh, oh, and it's like a pay-per-view fight that I get for free, you know. And so you're just kind of watching and watching and watching. And here's what happened late August. And, and it, it breaks my heart to admit this to you. I'm scrolling and I come across this story. And it says, U.S. Marshals have rescued 39 missing children. And I went like this. Cool. And then I went looking for something else. And I realized I was actually addicted to bad news. You know what's interesting is we see bad news headlines and make conclusions about bad news in, in sometimes one city and make whole national conclusions about everybody. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard someone go, our country? I can't believe this will happen in our country. Did you see anybody posting about the U.S. Marshals rescuing 39 missing children and go look at our country? You know, and sometimes when I feel the burden of what our country feels like it's carrying, that there's so much bad news. I'm just kind of like, you know what? I'd love to take anybody to lunch. Anybody. You bring all the bad news you want. I promise you I'll win the news game with more good news. I promise you. Because, I mean, think about it. Think about, think about what Chase Oaks has done for essential workers during a pandemic. No one looks at that and goes, what a great country. That a group of people would put their resources together. To make sure that people have enough and that their kids have a place to go while they serve the city. And so what I realized in my own heart is that I had an interesting dichotomy. I had people's opinions about what I should do and how I should do it. I also had what felt like, you know what, sometimes uh, almost as if media headlines had my heart on a string. And could pull it in one direction or another. And what's also interesting is when you start to dive into social injustice, what you will find is that there are so many social injustices that not all of them get hashtags. Not all of them make headlines. And so sometimes it's popular to be engaged in one social injustice and not as popular to be engaged or involved in another. And I realized that there was a discrepancy in what I believed and what I was actually doing. And, it, and the dichotomy for me is this, is while I'm wrestling with all of this bad news, my whole life has been grounded on the good news of Jesus Christ. That new life can be available to anybody wherever they are, that marriages can be restored, that people can have peace in the midst of 
chaos. And what's so interesting is that the world that you and I live in, it feels like nothing is stable. And we desperately need an anchor for our souls. So tonight is not Ryan's opinion on race. Tonight, we are looking to an anchor for all of our souls. His name is Jesus. And he has some thoughts on race that I think helps us be better humans for those around us. Uh, my, my story, uh, when, as it pertains to race and how I've been processing it, um, actually changed about three years ago because of a Christmas gift that was given to me by my in-laws. They gave me access to Ancestry DNA. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be careful with Ancestry DNA. A friend of mine got, got an Ancestry DNA kit for his father, only to find out he's not father so be careful ladies and gentlemen but i'm going to reveal to you my ancestry dna and i and i want the audience here to relax okay i just want you to be relaxed okay when you see what you see do not be surprised ladies and gentlemen um it comes to find out that i'm 33 percent nigeria which means my wedding was way too short okay i don't know if you've ever been to a nigerian wedding that, it's, not, it's not an event. It's a week. You have to take days off of work. There's multiple dresses. There, listen, the first time I went to a Nigerian wedding, uh, they started taking up a love offering for the bride from the groom's side. Okay, so they're going to the groom's side going, okay, you got 20? Okay, great. And they started throwing money on the ground. And somebody, who, unbeknownst to me, I don't know who this person was, was picking up the money and counting it. One, two, three. Three, and all of a sudden he holds it up. He goes, it is not enough. I go, what is going on? Okay. Like apparently I did my wedding all the way wrong. And so I'm going, okay, 33%. And then I'm going, okay, Western band two peoples, 21%. I ain't never been to Western band two, but hey, maybe I'll go. I, I shared this with a friend. And he said, oh man, this is awesome. Do you know what tribe you're from? I said, Chicago. Wakanda? I don't know, okay? I can't, I gotta figure this thing out. And so then, here, here's where things went south, okay? Things went south right around 5% Scotland? What is this? 2% Wales? Like, no offense, but who's Walesy in here? You know what I mean? Like, like, and that's even a weird term. You know, who wants to be, who wants to be called Walesy, okay? And then, Ireland! And I'm going, I'm Irish? Like, are you, are you serious? My wife did it, and, and my wife been, has been claiming to be Puerto Rican for forever, but the test showed that she is mostly Portuguese. I looked at her, I said, I need a moment. You have deceived me. The, these, these half, what I thought were African-American, half Puerto Rican children, I have, can I just have a moment to, to just realize that they're mostly Portuguese because of you, okay? I just, I just... I just need a moment. She goes, well, I didn't know you were Irish either. So I'm, I'm like, listen, this is about you, ownership, okay? You need to own your Portuguese, and I own my, my Irish. Now, I mean, here's the reality. Here, here's what we would find if every single person watching this message were to take an ancestry DNA test. Here's what we'd find. None of us are 100% anything. None of us. Uh, uh, none of our great, 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 great grandmas are from America. Sorry. We're all stuck with each other. And you know what we find? Is we find that there is a little bit of me and you. And there's a little bit of you and me. 
And <laughs> let this sink in for a minute. If there is a group of people in your life that you are particularly frustrated with, <laughs> there is a small chance you are frustrated with yourself. <laughs> There, there's, we are a conglomerate, a melting pot of a bunch of stuff. And sometimes race conversations are so black and so white as if there's no other colors in the room. And there are. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, we, we may not have realized this, but right now in America... Only 50% of the U.S. population under the age of 18 is Caucasian. By the year 2045, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Consensus and Data Analytics of how they're looking at the population say that only 49% of America will be Caucasian by the year 2045. Our future is full of color, whether we like it or not not and i believe it's our duty as the church to lead the way i believe it's our duty as people that have looked to jesus to be an anchor for our soul as we have looked to jesus to say hey we're going to follow him where jesus leads us is a place that isn't all that comfortable but it's better than where we are how did jesus show his disciples how did he illustrate to them what it means to deal with race in polarizing topics. Very simple, ladies and gentlemen. Show and tell. Show and tell. Now, just a little bit about this crew that Jesus is leading. Uh, There's 12 of them. It says in Mark chapter 3, he appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, we never hear anything about him, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we've got 12 guys. These are not master degree individuals. This is not the creme de la creme of society. Also realize Jesus has a very, you know, small mission, save the world. Okay, and you look at the crew that he picked. These are fishermen. Uh, the, these are regular young men. In fact, two of them got mommy issues. Uh, we see their mommy issues in Matthew chapter 20. It says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him she asked him for something and he said to her what do you want you know i don't know if you ever had that mama that showed up to school when you was in trouble like this mama has shown up to jesus christ and going hey uh, i got something to talk to you about jesus it's like she must not know he's the savior of the world he created her technically but we'll just let this slide okay and then she said to him say These two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus is going, I got to deal with your mama. Do you not realize we're trying to save the world? Okay, so just to to do roll call. Okay, we got three sets of brothers. Okay, we've got Simon the Zealot, who was a part, and we talked about that a little bit last week, who was a part of a, a very politically charged group. Matthew the tax collector, Judas the traitor, Thomas the doubter, Peter the loner, he was the oldest of the disciples, we believe, and Bartholomew the unknown. So we've got this group of, of individuals who um, have a very diverse background themselves in terms of their upbringing, their career choice. But from what we know, they're all Jewish. So what does Jesus do with a group 
of fishermen, tax collectors, traders, uh, Matthew and Simon don't get along because of their political backgrounds. Uh, how would Jesus show them a different way? It's very simple. Field trips. That's right. Field trips. He take them on field trips. Whenever you're reading scripture, whenever you're studying the life of Jesus, here, here, here's, here's a fun trick, okay? What Jesus did is equally important as where Jesus did it. If you look at the locations, we're going to look at three very briefly. These field trips that Jesus took the disciples on changed the game for them forever. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. Right before this, Jesus says this. Let us go to the other side. To whichever, to, to whichever one will go, the other side of what? It's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Do you know what's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? This place. You know what this place is? It was a region called the Capulus, ten cities. Uh, dominated mostly by the Roman Empire, very pagan, sensual town. Uh, these people hated Jews. The other side was considered the dark side. In fact, when Jesus says, hey, let us go to the other side, the disciples would have gone, for what? what, what why, why, would, why would we do that? that makes, I mean, you, you know those people want to kill you. And usually if people start throwing stuff at you, we're in the picture with you. So if they throw some rocks at you, I'm probably going to get hit with a rock too. So why are we going to the other side? Jesus is going, I got something you have to see. Immediately when they get there, he's encountered by a demon-possessed guy. I mean, the the minute they landed, there, there was no soft landing. There was no ramp. There was just immediate discomfort. But here's... Oh, that story ended when they were there. It says, and he went away and began to proclaim into capitalists how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. He cast a demon out of a guy. And he went around town telling everybody about it. They're on the other side. They're not just on the other side. Learning about somebody that's different than them. They're on the other side. Making a difference. And for some of us. We are so bought into our side that we can't see another side at all. We won't even go there. Imagine if we did. Field trip, number one, lesson. The goal of going to the other side isn't to be comfortable. It's to be effective. You see, if Jesus would have just stayed around his region, people just like him, looked just like him, how could he be effective? Not even making a statement of like making disciples of all nations. Which is why I love what's happening here at Chase Oaks. Where we're encouraging everybody on the fifth weekend of every month to have dinner with somebody that doesn't look like them. I believe that's very practical. I think we all can do that. Maybe it's via Zoom. Maybe it's via house party. Maybe it's via FaceTime. But hey, you make it fun. It's a challenge. But I want to For those of you who are willing to go there, 
what about on the fourth weekend and the third weekend when we see somebody that doesn't look like us? Should we wait till the next month? Man, what if we engaged those that don't look like us on a more regular basis? I know, it's uncomfortable. But what would it look like for us to be effective? What if we had some questions? What if we just said, hey, uh, how are you processing 2020? I ask this to people all the time. Black people, white people, mixed people, Portuguese people, Scottish people like myself. <laughs> hey, what, what's it like in your world? I mean, what's it like to, to be you? I, here's what I believe. I believe we should embrace opportunities to engage with people who look different than us. And when we do, we should take notes over giving lessons. Not, here's what you need to do. It's what can I learn? What can I learn from somebody that doesn't look like me? Guess what? Your future depends on it. Because you don't want to wake up in the year 2045 and look back and go, man, I could have been doing homework a lot sooner. Second field trip, ladies and gentlemen. Mark 7, chapter 24 says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen, and throw it to the dogs. Wow. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Jesus is in uh, now another region, Tyre and Sidon, and two gospels tell this woman's story. Uh, Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. Uh, Mark uses uh, Syrophoenician, uh, which uh, she lived in Phoenicia, which was uh, technically a province of Syria. And, but her ancestry DNA would be mostly Canaanite, which would be a Jew's most arch rival, Israel's arch rival. Yet he's in this region for one person. One individual. <laughs> and in this conversation, he, he references, he, he, he references a dog and says, hey, I, I can't, I, I can't do this. In fact, Matthew, the way he tells the story, he says, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. We're annoyed by this, really, again. Come on, Jesus, do, do something about this. Jesus is testing this woman's faith. The Jewish art of learning was um, almost riddle-like, answering a question with a question. Oftentimes you'll see Jesus ask a question and he'll respond with a question. So sometimes Jesus uses euphemisms that they would have been familiar with to test whether or not they had what it took. To be a true disciple. Jesus is testing this woman. And she passed the test. Now, 
Let's just say you're the disciples. You've just told Jesus, hey, come on, can you get rid of this lady? She's, she's barking at it, and, and, and we're in a region, and she doesn't, you know, we, we would consider her like a little puppy, okay? So the, we, we, Jesus is going, yeah, but she's going to walk away with a miracle. How do you think the disciples felt about Canaanite women after that? I mean, just imagine the next time that they're hanging out with their friends, someone in their family, and someone makes a Canaanite joke. They're going, yeah, you see, it's just, it's just different now. And the best part of her story in Mark, verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. He's going back to a worse place. Which means Jesus was only there for her. Tyre and Sidon are about 40 miles away from where Jesus was. And it might be an obvious question, how did Jesus get there? They walked 40 miles for one woman who was nothing like him. And the disciples were on this hill trip. For every single person watching, I want you to know something. Jesus walks. There is no place that you could go. There is no, there is no, you might think, oh, I'm so far gone. You're not. There is no distance Jesus would not come for you or for me. You might say, Ron, you don't know what I've done. I know what Jesus has done. And you know what? If, if the disciples, the disciples, they're, they're watching Jesus do amazing things for groups. They're watching Jesus do amazing things for individuals. And, and field trip number two lesson is biases about whole groups deteriorate by experiencing the stories of one. Have you ever thought something about a whole group? And it just changed. Something happens when we get close, when we build proximity. Jesus is showing the disciples, man, we're putting, I'm putting you in some uncomfortable situations. And we're growing together. Last stop. It's in Mark chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, they're back in the capital. A very racially Hence, place. When Jesus fed 5,000 people, it was actually Jewish people that they were feeding. Now, it's an away game. Now they're on someone else's turf. And this time, Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to break this bread and multiply this fish. You go serve those people. (laughs) It's a game changer. Thunderfield trip. They're on the other side. Hello from the other side. Field trip number three lesson. We know we're becoming more like Jesus when we can value another life enough to serve it. It's one thing to think that we're equal. It's another thing for me to humble myself to say, you know what, I am going to serve 
I love what Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That's my prayer for us this weekend. Is that we would walk with so much humility that we would look around the lives around us and value them above our own. Because that's the Jesus thing to do. My hope and prayer is that we would spend individual and corporate time going to the other side. The other side of our perspectives. The other side of our opinions. The other side of our debates. Sometimes even the other side of town. Just to experience a different world than the one we're used to. So yeah, we're going there a little bit. So if you find yourself today being Caucasian, Scottish, Welsy, yeah, I want you to value a life that doesn't look like yours. If you find yourself like me from Nigeria, Western Bantu, or from Wakanda, yeah, I want you as well to value the lives around you. Because the one race that we're all a part of is the human race. And I think what following Jesus leads us to do is it leads us to some uncomfortable places. And what we realize is perhaps the whole reason Jesus is pointing us in some uncomfortable directions to have some uncomfortable conversations with some people that don't look like us is because inside of you and inside of me is some very good news that our world desperately needs. Our neighbors need some good news. The person you work with that is so frustrated with the world around them needs some good news. And we got the best news in town. So yeah, Jesus is taking us on some field trips. And he's going, yeah, we're spreading good news to people that don't look like us. This isn't just for our elitist club of Christians. No, we're not eating in. It's take out into the world around us, regardless of what that person looks like. My hope and prayer is that we would be people that are willing to go to the other side. I want to end this weekend service um, by praying for our nation. And then we're going to sing a song together called Sea of Victory. And that's a part of the prayer. I'm believing that a lot of the tension that is swirling around race, I'm praying that we would see a victory. That God would be the center of our conversations. That we would be willing to have conversations. Humbly. Honestly. Because if we're honest, a lot of our race conversations are a lot more private than they are public. Things we never say out loud. Man, I, 
I hope that we can move towards where we create spaces for one another to really be honest and have some in-depth conversations. And when we go into those conversations, we've got to pin out. We're taking notes. We're not walking in with our slideshow, with our deck. Oh, let me tell you what I've learned. No, it's, you know what's going on in your world. I want to learn from you. Imagine if we all did this together. Can you imagine if we all valued another life above our own? God, I thank you so much for America. I pray for our nation. I pray for the racial unrest, the tension that we feel online and offline. And God, I just pray that you would give us the grace to handle these conversations in the midst of being surrounded by what can feel like a lot of bad news. God, I pray that we would wake up with a sense of the good news of what you have done for us that we could not do for ourselves. God, may we be conduits. May we be ambassadors of good news in our jobs, in our homes, online, on Zoom, on Microsoft Teams, the grocery store, wherever we are. May we be carriers of good news. Help us to go to the other side and may we be as effective as we possibly can. Help us to see the human race through your eyes, the beautiful creation that you've made. And I pray, God, that in our nation, we would see a victory as it pertains to racial reconciliation. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say it.